morning, everybody. Some people are not smiling. What's happening? <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Kerang Baptist Church this morning. Are there visitors in the house today? Anybody visiting the church today? Next time we'll get some visitors. Welcome again. Um, today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, we'll uh, be looking at the book of Acts today and a number of Sundays. Um, the, some of the team that will be preaching on Sundays, we've agreed that we'll be looking at the book of Acts. And because we've just had our mission months in May, we've dedicated the next two months to be outreach time. So please be praying for somebody, a friend, a family that you like God to lead you to, to reach out to somebody as, as you look at the book of, as you go through the book of Acts. And uh, as you turn, if you brought in your Bible, I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, we'll uh, read a number of verses there, and then we go to chapter 4. I mean, yeah, chapter 2. All right, let's stand for our reading this morning. Uh, let's stand on our feet as we do the reading this morning before we pray. Acts chapter 2, I mean chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. Acts 1, 4 to 8. Acts chapter 1, 4 to 8. The Bible says that on, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave thanks I mean, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have had me speak about. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates for the Father has set by his own authority. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and at the end of the earth. Let's turn a little bit on chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let us pray. 
Our dear and Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love for us, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. That today as we celebrate Pentecost, today as we celebrate the victory, Father, Lord, I pray that may you continue to remind us of the power and what you're providing, O oh God. And I pray for your word this morning, that I share the word this morning. Lord, I want to invite your presence and your anointing upon your people this morning. That as we receive your word this morning, I pray, God, that may you continue to guide us, Lord. Today I also want to pray for those who are not able to be with us this morning. They are probably sick at home. And, and we pray for them, Lord. We pray for your healing, God. That may you send your Holy Spirit this morning and bring healing in the name of Jesus Christ, O oh God. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My message today, as you celebrate Pentecost, I'll be sharing on how we can reignite that fire of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I'm not here to talk about the politics around or the theological terms and things around the Holy Spirit. I was brought up by tough Pentecostal parents. My mother, my dad were Pentecostals, and my mom, if you're not Pentecostal, you're not a Christian. <laughs> you're not just Pentecostal, you have to be Pentecostal and speaking in tongues. But today it's not about the politics around who is doing what and what. And being raised up in that family, I went to a Catholic school as well. So I was in a Catholic school. So I understand a bit of where Catholics are coming from and other religions. Um, my mother's parents were friends, Quakers, very conservative. You don't play musical equipments in the church. You don't clap hands. You just worship quietly. That's my grandparents. Friends, Quakers of those days. Um, but also I've done Bible. Pneumatology was one of my favorite subjects. I've studied a bit of pneumatology and stuff. But today, I want us to talk about the Holy Spirit and how we can reignite the fire that was begun at the day of Pentecost and made the church into something different. You look at people like Peter. Peter served Jesus, worked for Jesus, believed in Jesus. But his theology told him that if somebody is touching Jesus, you better chop his ear. That kind of the theology Peter understood. But Jesus is bringing a different gift of theology. That if somebody smashes you on this side, you turn around and give them the other side for them to smash you. It does not make sense in Australia. It doesn't. If somebody hits you on this side, you turn around and tell them, thank you, give this side again and slap me. It's in the Bible. That's the theology Jesus is talking about. Jesus talking about the theology that the people in Afghanistan who terrorized 
people in September 11th who are placed bombs everywhere. And Jesus is telling us, those are the people I want you to go and reach out to and talk to them about Jesus Christ. That is the theology of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to tell us, friends, if we don't ignite that power in our journey, in our church today, we are here but wasting our time. And my question this morning, when you think of Pentecost, what comes to your mind when you think of Pentecost? I told you I was raised by parents. I would wake up very early. My mom used to play, pray at 4 a.m. in the morning and she'd be praying in tongues in the morning. She'd be walking at home and speaking in tongues. And for her, that was Pentecost. And for some people, Pentecost, I've seen people being slain and falling on the floor, receiving Jesus' name, and that's Pentecost for them. And let's look at this definition that I saw today, I mean the other day. Pentecost traditionally referred to Shavuot in Hebrew. was an annual Jewish feast known as Hag Shavuot, a festival of weeks, or the day of the fast fruits. Jewish men were required by law to go to Jerusalem three times each year to celebrate major feasts. If you can look at that in the book of Deuteronomy. It says in the book of Deuteronomy, three times a year, your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place you choose. And that was Jerusalem. At the, at the festival of an bread. The festival of weeks and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Nowadays, talk about giving in church becomes sin. Those days, you never, never walked there at the Pentecost with nothing. I know that people who exaggerate giving. They say, you know, plant a seed, receive A, B, C, D, or do this. You know, manipulation. But the, the, the genuine giving of worship that God encouraged the followers to do. That when you present yourself on that particular day, carry a gift. And people carry 10% of their production. I've seen my mom do it. I've, I've said many times that my mom has always carried a bit of her harvest. We used to plant beans, we used to plant maize, sorghum, and millet. My mom would always cut a portion of that and carry it to church once a year after the harvest. And this was 
This was the second of the three pilgrims festivals of the Jewish religious calendar. It was originally an agricultural festival marking the beginning of the wheat harvest. And during the temple period, the first fruits of the harvest were brought to the temple and two loaves of bread made from the new wheat were offered. They were offered. So this tradition has been there. When people try to run it around and make it look something different, this culture has been happening. The day of Pentecost has been there. After, after Passover, you count seven weeks plus a day. I think it's 50 days. Is that true, Dick? <laughs> I'm trying to jog my, my theology. But if you count, as a, the day of Passover is supposed to be seven weeks plus a day, 50 days, you get to the Pentecost Sunday. And that's what you're counting today. But this day has changed with time. It says, and then during the Benedict times, the festival became associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, which is recounted in the Torah readings for the holiday. It became customary, customary during Shavau to study the Torah and to read the book of Ruth. And you know why it changed? Because most of these people, when they're exiled, they did not have harvest. Think of a crane, people that have been feeding probably 20 to 30 percent with wheat. They don't have to, give, to do it because of the war. And most of these people, because of their production, they found themselves in exile and they are not able to offer the 10%. So through that journey, they changed this. Instead of giving up on what they are doing, they changed it to a day that can actually observe God and looking at the scriptures, looking at the Torah, finding out what is it that God is telling us to do, looking at the prophecies, looking at what God is reminding them to do in the Torah. It was on that day of Pentecost after Jesus returned to the Father that we see the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 30, the Bible says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on the servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood of fire and by loss of smoke, if you look at that. If you look at the book of Acts, Peter is telling people that the prophecy that was prophesied in the book of Joel has been fulfilled today. The gift that God has been talking about the journey that God has been talking about has been fulfilled today because of the promise. And friends, this is the new change of the church. This is the new rhythm of the church. This is the new thinking of the church. Because for years, God has sent his prophets to come and deliver the message and they've been killed. 
People like Elijah, they've cried and done their best, they've been killed. Jesus even has sent his own son to come and deliver the message. The messenger has been killed on the cross. And Jesus said, this time I'm sending my own, the Holy Spirit, kill him again. Even though we are not even seeing him, we are trying to kill the Spirit. How many churches talk about the Holy Spirit nowadays? Very few. But I want to remind us today, the church without the Holy Spirit is a dead church. Because the ministry that Jesus is talking about, you can read it in, uh, I think it's Matthew 16, that Jesus is telling Peter that no one can reveal to you who I am if it's not the Holy Spirit. That on you, because of the revelation you have, on you I'm going to build the rock. You're going to be the rock that I build on your church for people to see. That is only in the revelation we have through the Holy Spirit that the church of Jesus Christ is going to be built. No other revelation that can happen. You can have your own revelation. You can have your own zeal and passion. But if it's not the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the church of Christ can never be built on that. And that's why Peter, because he was told you'll be the rock that I put on. Peter stands up boldly. This time he's not chopping people's ears. This time he's telling people, the man you crucified, the man you killed today is a man that I want to tell you about. That he's the one that has been sent to deliver you and I from sin. In other words, the ministry that I had of chopping people's ears is no longer in me. Today I'm here to tell you the ministry of love in the church and see it grow. It says that now without spurring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh, the church began to grow. And today it reaches around the world. The book of Acts is a record of the growth of the earthly church and the vital role of the Holy Spirit in the growth, in that growth. In the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit in action. In fact, some people talk about the Acts of Apostles. They say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because when you read the book of Acts, if you love the book of Acts, actually you see the Holy Spirit in action. You see the work of the Holy Spirit changing people, transforming lives, bring healing, and the church multiplying in numbers. New Testament symbolism is that Pentecostal, Pentecost, that was the beginning of the great to be because harvest, because harvest of Christ's work, redemption, through his death on the cross. It is meaningful also to see that for the believer, the Holy Spirit takes the place of the law as it teaches, guides, and helps us. I want to remind us, friends, if many of us were to apply the law of Christ, none of us would go to heaven. None of us would get there. 
And the Jewish community, they began this ceremony with thanksgiving of the harvest. They let aside observing and looking at the Torah, the word of God, and celebrating this day and enjoying these ten commandments were given. But Jesus saying, now I have something special for you. That instead of looking at these rules, I want to give you something that will remind you. Because with the other one, you have to remember to read. You have to remember to look at it. You have to remember, oh, today I needed to do this and this. But with the Holy Spirit, it's going to remind you. It's going to teach you. It's going to guide you to do these things. So who is easy? The law or the spirit? <laughs> I mean, you can choose. You can choose to have the Torah. It's okay. To be, it's, it's, it's a foundational. But it's something greater about the Holy Spirit that is coming to remind us about the love of God, about a God that cares for you and I, about a God that is preparing something special. It gives us a bit true. Paul is talking about a window of heaven. He's saying now we don't have that, but we have a rare view of that kingdom. We have a rare view of that kingdom of heaven because of the Holy Spirit in us. My question today is how can we ignite that fire in our church and in our lives today? How? The gift is given to you and I. The journey has been there. But how do we ignite that fire in our homes, in the church today? For many of us, we are living on yesterday's ashes. The fire went out a long time ago. And if you don't add wood to a fire, you're only carrying cold ashes. That was Freddie's quote, though don't quote me anyway, just something I thought in my mind this morning. <laughs> You're carrying cold ashes. Friends, I want to encourage you. It's good to remember the testimony of yesterday. It's good to remember the testimony of last year. It's good to enjoy, but the testimony of yesterday will not help carry you today. It will not. The presence of God you enjoyed last year at a crusade in Melbourne when Ben Hino, whoever came in Melbourne last year or two years ago, the, the, the conference you went for in Hill for Hillsong Conference in, in Sydney 10 years ago. Oh my goodness. It's just a cold ash now because it's cold. It did not ignite anything in your life. And to encourage us, friends, don't focus. Don't put your energy. Yes, it was there. It gave you the momentum to go. But we need to add wood. Keep on wood. One law cannot keep the fire burning. It can't. I remember the first time we came to Kerang, we, we had a beautiful home there. But there was no heating. There was no aircon. And uh, I thank God for people like John. I can't see him today. The pikes and other people gave us some wood that so can have some heating in the house. <laughs> we had some heating because it was just cold. I'm to remind you, 
And myself, I'm reminding myself, yes, I had a good time in a conference the other day. By the way, we had Nourish at uh, Essendon Church just the other day. It was beautiful. I sat in the worship and I just, God, I wish I can have this every day. And I came home and I felt like I need more. I need more. I need more. Those of us who've been through crusades, you know, it's not a one-day thing that you can have and, and, and feel you're okay. You've gotten there. You need it every time. You need it every time. And my question today, I want us to jump together and just take you through in the next few minutes on what we need to do before we go home to get there. The first thing I want to share with us is I can ignite this fire by offering my body as a living sacrifice to go through repentance and prayer. That is the first place to begin. You know, Romans were very clever people. But also Romans, the church in Rome, I'm talking about the church in Rome, they had a lot of challenges. A number of them, they thought because they were born under that umbrella of Jewish or whatever, they thought they have arrived. They thought they had everything, salvation, and Paul reminded them, friends. He said, therefore, friends, I argue. If you are God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. God cannot use your life unless you offer it to him. You cannot get the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You cannot get the feeling of the Holy Spirit unless you offer your life to Christ. It will never happen. He can't force it on each one of us. He cannot. You have to offer. You have to surrender to him. He says, therefore, argue, brothers and sisters, in view of God's must, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I want to tell you, you can give even 90% of your salary. But if you've not surrendered yourself, it's meaningless. It's only when we submit and surrender ourselves to God, then the Holy Spirit takes over and guides us. The people who give. The people giving is not giving is not a problem for them. They can say I can give to Bassari. Fifty million dollars. I can offer Kerang Baptist Church fifty million to put up a new sanctuary. I can do this, but the hearts are far from God. The hearts are far from God. And God is, Paul reminded Roma that we have to be in a place that if God has to use us and give us the skills and the things to be able to minister in the church, we have to be a place where we offer our lives. We have our bodies to God as living sacrifices because until he gets that sacrifice, until he gets that body, he cannot be able to put on you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like you've seen in the scripture, the 20 the 120 plus other people we may not know in the scripture that were there, they were there in prayer, in surrender, in commitment. They were waiting upon God and the anointing came on them. 
He didn't come home. God have said, stay home, I'll send the Holy Spirit in your house. Or I'll send the Holy Spirit in your bed. He never said that. He said, wait for me in Jerusalem. And it was not just waiting. It was a time of prayer and reconnection. John said, as I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes the one who, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Is that place of surrender, a place of repentance, a place of saying, God, is not about me, it's about you. This is not my church, this is your church. That he comes and gives you the gift because the gift now takes the ministries where it needs to be. The vision and the mission is not us. The vision and the mission is God has this mission and the vision that has given to the Holy Spirit to take it to, his, to the people. Us, we're just vessels of the mission. We are the vessels of the mission. John continued to say, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy, snoop down or untie. I baptize you with water, but I baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The second thing quickly I want to talk about is, I can reignite this fire by repairing the broken altars. I'll take you to a little journey in the book of First Kings. You don't have to open now, but if you get time, go and read that book. You find this, this prophet, Elijah. Elijah prophesied there'd be no rain in Israel for three years or more. And when he came back, the land was dry because Ahab they're saying the sin of Ahab was more tough than any other person in the land. But he made it worse by marrying Jezebel. That was even double. And Elijah runs away. When Elijah comes back, he tells them, okay, you worship your God, bring your animal, and I bring mine, we put it together. I want to see your God light fire on your animal, and my God will light fire on mine. And the Bible says in that place, they prayed for the whole day. They shouted that if a cinder of a seeker of a cinderory, but nothing happened. Do you know why? Because the altars were broken. And Elijah, the Bible says, he walked, he picked stones and re repaired the altar of God. And after he repaired the altar, he stepped back and prayed to God and said, God, now do what you have to do. And the fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Let me give you a short story just before I finish. One day I was in Nairobi and uh, I was doing counseling. And I had this couple, they rang me, they said, 
Pastor, can we come and visit for counseling? I had never met them. They are not part of our church. I'd never seen them. So we made an appointment on a Sunday morning. So in between the service, they walked in the office. We sat down and I started talking to this lady. I've never seen her before. I started talking to this lady. And when I was talking to this lady, God revealed to me the family history. Her, her great-grandparents had divorced. Her mom had divorced. Her aunties had divorced. Her sisters had divorced. And her, she was already like out of marriage. And I struggled a bit, but I, told, I had to tell her. And she said, oh, the husband said, oh, you know, you know her? I said, no, no, I've, I've, just, I've just met them for the, for the first time. And we, we talked about it, so I won't give you the whole story, but what I'm saying is, the things in our journey that God wants us to repair before you bring the fire. But sometimes you want to bring the fire on the altars that have been broken. I just want to remind you, when you're praying, God will reveal things to you that need to be dealt with before you bring fire. And, and, and for them, we had to walk that journey. We had to pray and walk with them through the journey of repairing the altars to invite the fire of God to be able to walk with them. It was not easy for them. And I've seen people in Townsville. I went to the correctional place and we were shown children in the, in the correctional center. Their parents, their great parents, actually been involved with drugs and they've been there. The manager was telling us, this young man, the father, who used to be here. This is like home for them. This is home. So drugs is something running in the family. It was with the young people, the grandparents, everybody was, it's part of the being on drugs. These are the altars have been destroyed. So even if you go and lay your hands on them, you, you know their prayers, Jesus is saying it won't happen just like that. You know their prayers, you need a lot of fasting and doing stuff for it, something to happen. Those are things you have to prepare to do things. And for some of us, maybe you have family members that are going through that. And every day you've been praying for them. I want to encourage you to continue praying, but there are things that God has to repair in their life. The altars that need to be repaired for the Holy Spirit to come and guide them and, and, and live in them and take them to the place where they need to be. So it's just something to think about. That is what Elijah did. Elijah had to repair the altar that was broken. And after he repaired the altar because the, the gods of Baal, the gods of Jezebel had destroyed the altars of God and brought sin and other things on the altars of God. And Elijah stepped up and guessed on and repaired the altar of God. And then he called on the presence of God to come and bring the fire on the sacrifice. So friends, you see things happening and happening, talk to somebody. If you can't pray on your own, talk to a friend, talk to the pastor, talk to somebody. Let them pray with you as you listen to God because there are things you've been forcing, but God wants you to invite some repairing in that journey. Another good history story is the story of um, Nehemiah. The wall was destroyed. And God told Nehemiah, I want you guys to go and repair the wall. I go and read it to Nehemiah, and you find Nehemiah, after they repaired the wall, they started enjoying the word. Ezra read the word from morning to noon. 
How many hours are those? How many of us will be standing here listening to the word if, if you are not for the presence of God? Nehemiah read the word. I mean, Ezra read the word to the people. They enjoyed now the presence of, because the wall had been repaired. The, the altars have been repaired now back to that. So my encouragement today, don't just pray for that. Things you have to look into the walls, the altars that need to be repaired to get the power, to get the fire of God firing again through that. Um, lastly, I can ignite this, ignite this fire by talking to, listen to what Paul is talking to Corinthians about love. Paul's talking to the Corinthians about love. And to encourage all of us. And Paul says that for now we see only a reflection as in the mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I'll know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these things remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. You can read the whole chapter saying you can all have those things, but without love, it's, it, it, it's useless. Without love, it's meaningless. I want to encourage all of us. Let's love people. Let's love people. They may not be what we want us to be. That's why God loved us. They may have done things we don't like. Let's love people. If you want to pray for somebody, love them first. If you want to reach out to somebody, love them first. Some of us are friends and family. My brother was telling me he has a child that is struggling to deal with and to love. It's hard to love some people. It's hard. I'm telling you. This is a reality. But I've, I've learned in my journey that sometimes God brings us people to test <laughs> the gift. They give this gift. Sometimes God brings people in our journey to test our patience. How will, how will we know that you are patient if you, can, you don't have this kind of people to tie? There are people that are not lovable at all. They wake up every morning, they're in your face, they're there. But the Bible is encouraging us, love them. Love them. If you have to reignite this power, because the power is on a mission, this gift is on a mission, but the mission, we are the carriers, we are the vessels. If you say, no, no, this one is unlovable, you can't reach out to them. We have to make the choice, we have to choose. The places God is going to send you. I was so encouraged when I heard about the Fulanis, that somebody's in West Africa talking to the Fulanis, somebody's in uh, East Timor. People in Afghanistan, people that, people that are killing people. I thought of somebody in the U.S. Why would somebody walk in a room, pack with the kids and shoot them? You can imagine the anger, the frustration of the community. But God is telling love these people and reach out to them. This is sin. This is sin. We need to love them and reach out to them. That's the only way we're going to reach to them. As I finish, I want to read for us a poem. 
A poem by Anthony Di Mello. This poem says that a woman dreamed that she walked into a brand new shop in the marketplace and to her surprise found God behind the counter. What do you sell here? She asked. Everything you have to desire, said God. Hardly daring to believe what she was hearing, the woman decided to ask for the best things a human being could wish for. I want peace of mind and love and happiness and wisdom and freedom from fear. Then an afterthought she added, not just for me, for, every, for everyone on earth, God smiled. I think you've got me wrong, my friend, God said. It's meant to be sorry for, my, for that type of error. He said, we sell fruits here. I mean, we sell seeds and not fruits. You know? We sell seeds and not fruits. We sell seeds and not fruits. You know, many times we want God to give us a fruit. God is giving you the seed. The seed is God is giving you the Holy Spirit. This is the seed that can take you to hills and mountains. This is the seed that can take you anywhere. This is the seed that God is saying, you know what? This is the seed I want to give you to produce a fruit wherever you go. So friends, today I want to encourage you. God is giving you the seed of the Holy Spirit today. For some of us, you've been having it for years. I want to remind you today that God is giving you. He's saying, go out there and at this seed, on this seed to produce love, on this seed to produce patience, on this seed to produce kindness, on this seed to produce forgiveness, on this seed to forgive Patience, joy, self-control. <laughs> but sometimes we cry, God, give me self-control. It's like, no, I've already given you the seed. Why should I give you self-control? God, give me patience. I've given you the seed. Why do you want patience? I've given you the seed. I want to encourage you. Carry this seed and take you to the mission. Cut this seed and reach out to the world. This is the seed the apostles are carrying from the book of Acts. They're carrying this seed and taking it to the communities. People that never went to school, people that were criticized, tax collectors, these were ordinary people that nobody would trust, nobody believed in them. They're carrying this seed in the community, in places where nobody even had thought about. And people are getting born again. I want to invite Tanya to come and lead us in the, in the team. But as they do, I want you to stand on your feet and ask God, am I carrying the seed? And if I'm carrying the seed, is that the right seed or the GMO seed? You know the GMO seed? The effect seeds now, they're coming from nowhere. It's a fake seed. God is giving you the right seed. Ask God to give you the right seed. Let's stand on our feet because I want us to pray that God will help us as we carry this seed into the world, that we're going to see change. We're going to see faithfulness. We're going to see people coming to Christ. We're going to see revelation. And if you've never received it before, I want to pray with you this morning. 
I want to tell God, thank you, Father. Lord, thank you. Lord, we pray this morning because of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you because of your Holy Spirit. That without your Holy Spirit, the work that you began can never be accomplished, Father. Without your Holy Spirit, our lives will never be different today. That as we stand here today, Father, we open our hearts to you. We don't cut the ashes of yesterday. We don't cut the ashes of last year, Father. We don't want to leave the testimonies of our own witch convention in America or a conference in Sydney. We want to live in today. That your today presence will make the difference in our life. That the seed that is in me today is alive and it's alive and it's producing fruit in my life today, Father. Lord, I pray for most of us here today that are struggling, that are carrying ashes that have been cold. I pray for those that are carrying fake seeds today. I pray, God, may you bring the freshness. May you bring the fire that will make the difference. May you bring the fire of the Holy Spirit that will make change in our lives, oh God. Lord, we want to see your place in Karang. We want to see this community change because of your love, oh God. So, Lord, we thank you. May your faithfulness be real in our lives, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.